Hello, I'm Derek Doak, and you're listening to the Real Talk Podcast. For over 25 years, I've been serving the investment property industry, from preparing tax returns for property owners when I worked in public accounting, to creating and managing multi-million dollar syndications as a commercial broker. Throughout my career, I have always had a passion for learning and teaching what I have learned to others. This podcast is for commercial property owners and those who provide professional services to owners. My goal is to bring value to you through the sharing of best practices and industry knowledge. Each episode is geared towards providing knowledge and insights around topics and trends affecting property management, asset management, and investment management. Please enjoy this episode, and if I can be of any assistance, please do not hesitate to reach out to me directly at Derek at DokeMail.com. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to another Real Estate Investments Insights podcast, Real Talk version. And as you guys know, I've got my co-host, Jordan Elliott from NAI Elliott. Uh, he is the president there and making things happen. Uh, this show started out, uh, someone asked me on the last podcast how the show started out when it was just me interviewing Jordan, and then it turned into Jordan and I making it work together. And uh, and so uh, I, I enjoy doing these with Jordan. Uh, Jordan being out of the Portland area, myself being out of the Seattle area, you know, we cover the Northwest uh, quite well with uh, our partnerships. Um, and today with me and with us is, I think, one of the premier groups out there that are helping businesses uh, kind of go into retirement. You know, Jordan and I last week talked about how do you become, how do you retire as a landlord? And the conversation is all about being a property owner versus a landlord. This week, we really want to focus in on those business owners that have real estate as part of their business and also those families in succession planning, what they do when they have real estate as part of their business. Um, and that's what this week's uh, podcast is all about. And, uh, you know, with us today uh, are, or I should say, is a company that also supports CCIM quite extensively here in the Northwest, uh, been sponsors, I know, in our chapter in Seattle for quite some time, as well as the Oregon chapter. And, uh, you know, so, you know, Gregory and Kurt, you know, you guys have done a great job of supporting us, always been there with information, helping our clients with any questions on selling or not selling, um, which we truly appreciate. So I'm happy to have you guys here on our podcast. And, uh, and I think before we get started down the path of just questions and kind of kicking it off, I'd like, you know, Gregory, if you don't mind talking a little bit about, you know, uh, International Business Associates, you know, we know does IBA, um, kind of how you got started. Um, the kind of clients that you worked with, and then uh, and then also uh, Kurt, you can rep, you know talk a little bit about your background, how you got involved with heading up BizDev, and I know you did a lot in the franchise market. So uh, let's kick this off with you know Gregory giving a little background on IBA and what you've done. Certainly, thank you very much, Derek. So IBA, we are the oldest business brokerage firm in the Pacific Northwest. Have been in business since 1975 seven offices spread throughout Oregon and Washington, um, probably both the oldest and largest business brokerage firm. Um, a couple things that makes us unique is, A, every member of my team holds a real estate license in one or more states. And where, as you're familiar, Jordan and Derek, we are commercial realtors, we are actually ranked as the 16th largest commercial real estate firm by the Puget Sound Business Journal this year. But we only sell commercial real estate 
when it's attached to a business. So when we get calls related to leasing or buying a building as an owner operator or even selling a building when it's not the highest and best use of the property anymore, we will often refer those to firms like yours. And Kurt is the lead in determining where those referrals go from my brokerage team. The couple things otherwise, we handle 17 different verticals. Most of our transactions tend to be industrial, manufacturing, B2B, but we also have talented brokers for hospitality, education, technology, and cannabis. So quite a spectrum. And then we only represent the seller side of the transaction. And like most realtors, we work 100% on performance. So it doesn't matter to us whether a transaction is six, seven, or eight figures. We only want to be paid at the end by a happy customer who achieves their goals. So that's a little background. I'll touch on myself, um, how I found the company back in the 1980s. I've been with IBA since 94 and the president and CEO since 2000 is IBA sold my father's um, veterinary hospital and real estate in Portland, Oregon. And mm -hmm. so he had a good experience with the company. And when I returned to the Northwest, um, he encouraged me to meet the founder, Bill Osofsky, and joined in 94. So been with the company 30 years now. Nice. Nice long run. Yes. How about you, Kurt? Give us a little background, let people know who you are, kind of what you've been doing. Sure. So I joined IBA in the summer of 2018, and that was following the sale of my own business brokerage firm, which focused on smaller businesses, businesses typically below $2 million. As Gregory said, uh, the sweet spot for us is uh, as low as uh, 500000 or so, but it can be as high as $25 million. And what I like about IBA is that we sell across all industries in manufacturing, services, and retail. And in particular, we have a, a focus on franchise resales as well. I, I don't think that the average person realizes that the average small business turns over as, as far as ownership every eight years or so. That includes franchises. And interestingly, the typical franchise agreement term is 10 years. So when I joined Gregory and I, I got to know him because I represented buyers, he had sellers, and we completed two very successful deals. And I was impressed with the professionalism of IBA as compared to the franchise that I was with. And uh, when Gregory approached me, I reminded him that I was done. I had sold my business, retired. And he said, no, 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 we got plenty of brokers. I need you to uh, focus on biz dev. So that's my role at IBA is to meet with the owners of privately held family owned businesses, talk them through our process, match them with the right broker, with the right skills. And uh, then the broker takes it from there, completes a business evaluation in a complimentary manner, um, in, earns the engagement and takes it through closing, which is typically three to nine months. We do have a franchising expert on our team, Charlie McGee, who we brought on board a couple of years ago. 
who uh, every day is focused on, you know, what are the best franchise opportunities for buyers who can't find an existing business to purchase. Uh, I've been around this business now for 12, 13 years in the Puget Sound region. And I can tell you, it's a hell of a seller's market. If you have a profitable business, there's huge demand. And that yeah. business will be sold by us with, within three to nine months. Well, the nice thing about anything that's a good asset, there's always a good market, right? You can create yes. a market for something that's making money. Uh, it's hard when things aren't making money to make a market. Um, but I want to, I'm going to go back a little bit on what you said there, Kurt, just to kind of go kick us off here. What are, what is the steps or the processes when somebody's made a decision that they want to start about thinking about selling their, their business? I know you and I've talked about this before. There's people that when they're serious about doing it, that's when they engage you. Um, what is the steps when someone reaches out and says, Hey, Kurt, I've got a manufacturing business. I own the real estate. We've been doing this for 50 years as my grandfather's business. My dad took it over and now the daughter took it over and the daughter saying, you know, I want to move to Arizona. So can we sell this business? And they make that phone call to you. What is that kind of that process and steps after that? Sure, Derek. So the first step would be, um, an initial meeting with that owner, and we prefer a face-to-face -face meeting. We've got to build a degree of trust. You know, you know the old adage, you got to know, like, and trust somebody. This is a big decision on the part of the owner, okay? He's got more equity in the business and real estate than he has in his personal portfolio. So this has to be done right. Proper planning is an integral part of this process. So uh, when I sit down with the owner, I try to get a feel for what his objective is. Is he interested in selling the real estate and the business at the same time? Or is there some interest on his part to maintain the real estate and become you know, basically an owner with passive income? Um, so what we tell them is, you know, let us do the work. Okay, let us do this business evaluation, which would include the appraisal of the real estate. Let's tell you what we think the real estate and the business are worth. And it probably takes us about uh, a week to two weeks to complete that work. So we earn the, the uh, owner's trust so that he shares the financial information that we need to do the business evaluation, which is typically, you know, three years worth of uh uh, tax returns, three years worth of uh, P&Ls and um, other items. You know, if if they don't own the real estate, it would be their lease. If it's the real estate, of course, you know, we'll do the research on that. So in two weeks, we come back to that owner. We sit down, we lay it on them. We tell them this is what we think it's worth. Um, we may make a recommendation on uh, the pros and cons of selling both or, you know, just one and try to get his uh, reaction. Um, you know, it's important to identify, and I think, you know, you probably stress this in your podcasts, it's important to plan this. You know, you don't, you don't just wake up one day and decide to sell your business in real estate. You know, there's all kinds of tax implications, as I'm sure we'll get into, with regard to what you're going to do with all this uh, money. And I got to tell you, most of the owners that we deal with, they have very little long-term debt. They may have paid the real estate off and they have no debt in the business. So think about the capital gains that they're facing, you know, federal and state. So it makes sense to do planning. But let's talk a little bit about IBA and how we're different. Gregory touched on it. So we are known in the market as the gun for hire. 
Okay. If you're serious about selling your business, we're going to get it done. Okay. And that's why we are performance compensated. That's why, you know, we tell that owner that we're going to get it done in three to nine months. You can trust us. As a matter of fact, I don't know of any firm that has anything less than a 12-month engagement agreement term. Ours is six. Because if we haven't sold the business, gotten an LOI, or gotten sufficient traction, then we haven't done our job. And we should apologize, that owner, for wasting their time and ours. And so we're a gun for hire. We're not the kind of firm that will do this evaluation. And let's say the owner, the owner really has three, three reactions to that meeting. He could say, wow, it's a lot more money than I ever thought I'd get out of this. Or, hey, that seems fair and reasonable. And we take him through our evaluation mm -hmm. in excruciating detail. We come at it using various methods. And, you know, it's the best business evaluation in the market, because unlike your business, real estate, that's public knowledge, the sale of privately held businesses is not known to the public. So it's important that you have the experience, the number of transactions in each industry that IBA has. That's what so, we bring to the clients. So Kurt, let me stop you for a second right there. So that when they get to that point, prior to that, they do this pre-plan. And so is the advisement to those owners that are thinking about selling to because you say you're a gun for hire and, you, and you're ready to go, do you help them set their business up for sale or do you have other groups that you refer them to and say, hey, let's get you dressed for the ball. Let's yes. get you ready to go and then bring you in. Great point, Derek. So we prefer and we love our collaborative partners, our CCM friends to get us involved as early as possible, okay? However, we elect, our business model is such that we elect not to act as consultants to them to get the business up to a certain value. I mean, you could you could see a scenario where we tell the uh, owner that the business in real estate is worth $10 million and he thinks it's 12 for whatever reason. Maybe he has 12 invested. Maybe his friend uh, sold his business in a similar industry for 12. It doesn't matter. If that owner thinks it's worth 12 and wants to get to 12, we tell him, fine. When you get to 12, that's great because we'll sell it at 12. We've been around for 50 years. We'll be around another 50 years. So when you're ready and serious, you come see us. However, to your point, what do we do if the guy says, well, can you help me get to 12? You guys seem pretty sharp. We tell them that, look, we, unlike our others in our industry that will take a retainer from you and, quote, work with you over time to increase that value, we don't believe that's the right thing to do. What we do is we refer them to our collaborative partners who are experts in whatever we think will drive value growth. So for example, if it's a revenue issue, generation issue, then we have consultants that can focus on that. If it's a particular manufacturing cost issue or an operating indirect expense issue, we have uh, collaborative partners on our team that we can introduce them to, and that's better because those partners are focused and they have to deliver value to them and they're accountable to raise the value of their business. And they're going to remember us. We did the initial evaluation and the collaborative partners are indebted to us for bringing them the, the prospect. So I uh, hope that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. I'll jump in with one. Um, 
first time getting on the microphone here. And I just wanted to say I've uh, had the opportunity to work with Greg and Kurt and some of their folks on some transactions. And um, it's been a delight. And for our listeners, it really fits the mold of what Derek and I talk so much about a team of advisors for a given business. Obviously, we're focused on real estate generally, but um, you know, having Kurt, you and Greg here from the broader business brokerage environment is great because you touch on so many other things. But mm-hmm. in any case, you want it's just like what you said, Kurt, you want people who are really specialized in different elements and different parts of the process to be able to bring everything together and, and make for successful transactions. I think one of my questions I'm really curious about is that uh, some of the best folks that I've come across from the real estate standpoint are those that have run successful businesses and have bought the real estate along the way. Uh, and that could be for multiple generations, often the case with the folks that we work with. Sometimes it's an individual who has done it. I, I'm curious about like the best of what you see in terms of when you've got a business and somebody has really teed up the real estate to be in an ideal situation for them to sell their operating business, perhaps sell their real estate or perhaps keep it, as you mentioned earlier. But what does that really look like when they've done a great job with it? Because I think that will speak uh, to our audience. Gregory, do you want to address that? Sure. I'll unpack that issue. Um, A couple of thoughts there is when we're looking at the real estate as a starting point, we are looking at what is in the person's best interest. For example, many times in the urban core, it may not be the highest and best use of the real estate. So we had a property we referred to NAI in the U District in Seattle, which was an auto repair business that had been there for generations. Well, the the auto repair shop was worth about three quarters of a million dollars. And the real estate was worth multiple millions. So we were at a crossroads in that situation related to what was in their best interest. Uh, They could sell the business, but then likely they're going to be committed to a 10-year lease at below market values. And in that situation was here in Seattle. Uh, Derek may recall the situation. We advised the client, unfortunately, you should close the business. We're not going to benefit, but you should sell the real estate, which I believe ended up selling for north of $4 million, where if it paid a fair market rent, it was going to be a quarter million a year or more. And so the business couldn't support it. So during our evaluation stage, it's really important to determine, should this package stay together in a sale? Should you retain it as a passive income asset? Or as in the situation I just described, is it best to move or close the business to monetize what has occurred in development related to that real estate. So we deal with all three scenarios. And if the package goes forward, let's say as Jordan asked, it makes sense to keep the business and real estate together. That is very common, but that's when we maybe start talking to our client 
rather than you keeping this as a lease property with an owner-occupied building, we've all seen vacant Kmart and Sears buildings. Um, even great credit-worthy clients sometimes have turbulence. We will often tell our client, take that four, $8 million piece of real estate and do a 1031 exchange. We have the horizon to begin to plan and seek, whether it's complete ownership of a, you know, a medical office building or fractional contribution to a DST, a Delaware Statutory Trust. We want to look at them for legacy planning, for retirement planning. What's the best approach? Because Though it works really well for an end user to own their dirt and building, as a passive owner, I'm not as much an advocate of that single occupied building because a person can get struck by lightning or hit by a bus and the business struggles. And now, you know, you both have probably seen it, Derek and Jordan, where you get a 25,000 square foot industrial building that's vacant. It's an end user property. And those can be harder to sell or diversify risk with than a multiple tenant building. Yeah. And especially in the outer markets, right? When you look at uh, treetop apple juice, uh, you look at some of these places where they had a lot of big, large warehouses that came on the market years back and they couldn't sell them because they were so uh, isolated to that business. They got bought out by larger companies and they let the real estate just go. Um, so it definitely happens. Um, kind of playing on, on Jordan's question a little bit too is, you know, we always like to talk about best practices. And so when someone picks up the phone and reaches out mm -hmm. to Kurt or comes through the website and says, I'm thinking about selling my business, are there, are there things that you see, like are there top three or top five things those individuals can provide you or do prior to reaching out to you that makes them you know, a more successful candidate to reach what they're trying to achieve? Yeah, there's four basic elements to evaluating a business. As Kurt touched on, it's the financials. I mean, that is the box score on what they're doing. Are they growing? declining? Are they profitable? Those sort of things. Then it's the real estate and it could be owned real estate or lease. You know, is a lease coming up to its end term and we want to get the business on the market so that the selling client doesn't need to personally guarantee the lease in the next iteration. Because as you know, landlords want as many pockets as possible behind those leases. So we often tell people, come to us three years before the end of your lease, maybe if you have an option beyond that, and don't sign the next one if there's a personal guarantee, because we're never going to get you off that, because it's prudent yeah. for a property owner to keep you on. But if there's one year left and you're selling, they don't have a lot of leverage to get you to stay on to the next term. And yeah. so we will deal with that. The next is tangible assets. Is it a, a fleet of vehicles? Is there manufacturing equipment? What are 
the tangible assets included in the sale. And the last is what's unique about your business? What is your secret sauce? What do you have in employees, infrastructure, patents, trademarks, um, customer base? You know, does one customer make up 40% of your sales or are you pretty diversified? Those sort of pieces all go into our valuation process. Okay, that's good. That's good. Jordan, you have a, uh, I see you got a question there. Well, I was just thinking about, um, I, I loved what you said, Greg, about what we would say is starting with what's um, the best interest of the client, uh, what's really gonna be in the best interest of the person that whether you're representing them or, or we are. And also just that, that theme of, knowing what you do really well and what others do better. Uh, that's come up from what Kurt said and what you said and something that Derek and I have talked about a lot in our, in our meetings. Uh, you know, we're, we're really good at working on lease assignments for landlords. And like you said, those personal guarantees, are not going to go away. They're, they're still going to be there. But, uh, you know, th that's our niche. <laughs> our niche isn't helping the business itself get through that. That's your niche. And so uh, just thought that was really, really good and helpful overlapping information for what we talk about all the time. Yeah, and, and anyone who's listened to our show before, they know we love stories. So I want to I want to hear the, your guys' craziest story of like the the craziest transaction you're a part of. It's all good. You yeah. know, you know, Gregory has sold personally sold well over three hundred businesses across all industries involving everything and anything. So I'm dying to hear myself which one he's <laughs> going to choose for you. Is that a setup or what? <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I mean, we, you know, there can be a lot of unique iterations um, related to sales. Um, we, you know, it could be a divorce, a partnership breakup, a health issue, representing an estate. I sold a company that manufactured um, marine stainless steel equipment for the fishing industry where unfortunately a 50 year old died while jogging and I represented his wife and kids, but I'm not going to go into a lot of detail there. One that's kind of interesting um, I can talk about is a company called Integrity Networks. It's based here in the Seattle metropolitan area. And what they do is they provide IT infrastructure for government entities. So think of a military base in Kuwait. They are the ones who would come in and build out the data, communications, video security systems, because you can't have a nefarious party tap into that network when you're strategic planning um, in dicey parts of the world. And what was really interesting about that deal is we ended up, and it shows you we can source buyers from a broad spectrum, and it ended up selling to a publicly traded company in Japan. And they had worked with this company in Korea on building military infrastructure. And we needed to navigate 
the CFIUS process and get this approved by the United States government that we could do the merger of these two companies. And I think that highlights kind of the high-end complexity, but you know, it's dealing with union contractors and union um, contracts and sales. Um, it's dealing with retirement sales where a wife wants to retire and play golf with her friends down in Arizona and the husband says, I'm going to die in this chair. This is my baby and I don't want to give it up. So I always say in a generic sense, we wear a lot of hats as an M&A firm. We're dealing with accounting and tax. We're dealing with legal issues. We're dealing with real estate issues. We're dealing with business, almost essential level consulting issues. And then we're a psychologist and a priest um, working people through these issues. And it's really the wild west of real estate, tying back to Kurt's gun for hire, in that we're not using standardized documents. They're usually legal documents drafted specifically for transactions. We're dealing with sophisticated tax strategies. Um, it's, it takes years to learn to do this well. And, you know, between Kurt and I were, you know, plus 40 and we have brokers on our team who are less than a month old. And then we have brokers on our team, you know, who have done a large number of transactions who have been with us for decades. So, I mean... It's a matter of fitting people with the right broker. And then like NAI, we have tribal wisdom where Kurt, I, my managing broker in Oregon, Stephen, are, you know, a help desk to brainstorm and problem solve with all brokers. And, you know, it's one thing I love about your firm is if each of you don't know the answer, you can go to people who've probably dealt with that type of property in the past. We're the same way. If we have people who, you know, have done many deals in the education space, who, for example, it amazed me, one of my brokers, Andrea Lines, just did a technology education platform in New York. Um, and it was a virtual business model, so no real estate involved. But it amazed me where how many brokers are between Manhattan and Seattle in that they came to us because we're on the 50-yard line in Technology City, USA with, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, et cetera here. Um, we're blessed to be able to help people like that. Yeah, and, and Gregory, I just want to add one quick thing or ask one quick thing. You mentioned M&A and the person staying in the seat and they're going to live there forever. Are there situations where you help these businesses do an M&A where they're looking at just merging with somebody else so they can kind of stay in their seats? Or is it purely 100% they're selling the business? Great question. No, we, we sell companies 
to high net worth individuals, to strategic merger candidates in their industry, to nonprofits like Northwest Center, we've sold businesses to, um, to private equity firms, search funds, et cetera. And I actually, you, you touch on this and you may even know this business. Um, I had dinner last night along with my wife with the founder of Ballard Furniture and they have um, Ballard Consignment, Everett Consignment, Bellevue Consignment. And we sold that company to a private equity firm who was intrigued by their business model, which combines quality new furniture with consignment furniture. And the owner retained 30% of the company in the transaction, is the CEO of the business today. And they're growing by acquisition where they're looking at acquiring additional furniture properties in Texas and California. So, I mean, we listen to our clients on what they want to do. And sometimes those who don't want to totally exit, their second bite of the apple can be larger than the first. Yeah. Yeah. And to add, to add to that, you know, when you talk about seeking a win-win for the seller and the buyer, that's not some trite statement. We take that very seriously. In fact, the reason why we can be performance compensated is we have confidence that we're going to sell. So make no mistake about it. Our, uh, our primary responsibility is to the seller in every deal. But uh, we realize that it takes two to get this deal done. And we pride ourselves on selling on knowledge, experience, and skill. And let me tell you, I've been around salespeople my whole life. I worked in a Fortune uh, 300 company uh, managing large numbers of salespeople. Our salespeople are good. They can sell ice to the Eskimos. The problem isn't selling to the buyer. The buyer is, you know, is in a uh, white heat about acquiring the business. It's really ensuring that those on his team, the lender, <laughs> who may have certain debt coverage uh, concerns or whatever, and their CPA, who they should be using to do performance and do due diligence. You know, we know that everybody has to be sold, not just the buyer. And getting back to what I said in the beginning and what Gregory's just talking about here, uh, we want that buyer to remember us. In eight years, when he's looking to sell, he's going to say, you know, how should I, how should I get this sold? And they rem he remembers, well, I bought this through IBA and it was a pleasurable experience and it worked out well. You know, they were transparent, they were fair, and they weren't even representing me. <laughs> So they're going to come back to us. And so we have history of selling the same business several times. You yeah. know, somebody buys it, they grow it, they sell it, they grow it. Certain buyers want to build businesses. Yeah. Others yeah. want to hang on to them for the long term. So, yeah, it's the same thing in our industry, right? On the real estate side, Jordan and I talk a lot about management services because that's the areas that we focus on, which is taking care of the assets once they own them. Um, but when you talk to the brokers that we work with and Gregory, you mentioned earlier, yeah, we're very blessed to be associated with and affiliated with the firms that we're with. 
Um, and we have a lot of really good brokers that we work with. Um, so we're kind of spoiled in that regards. Um, but, uh, but to be able to lean on the network anywhere in the country, in the world for expertise on any type of asset class or any kind of business, um, that, that goes a far way. So we, we, uh, we're, we're, we're fortunate to have that. And, um, and so I like where this conversation has gone and, uh, and, and, and kind of recapping, I know Jordan has a couple things to say too. I just wanted to kind of recap it in the sense of if you're a business owner, and you're out there and you're thinking that you want to sell your business or look at other options, then the time to engage is earlier than later is what we all agreed to when you talked about that. And then, and you have access to team members that can help them get that business where it needs to be. Whether it's, if it's not their CPA, then you know, somebody that can help them. If it's not their attorney, it's somebody, you know, that can help them. If it's somebody, you know, on the brokerage side, on real estate of getting the maximum value for your real estate, you guys know people that can do that too. So um, what I like about what you're saying is you're not trying to bring them in and sell them everything, right? You're trying to say, come in, we're the best at this particular aspect of it. And we know the best of breed in these other areas. And so that's what you get the value out of working with uh, IBA. Did I summarize that? in a good way you did one thing i'll touch on that's different about what we do versus what you do is everything we do is covered by the umbrella of confidentiality because it can damage a business if their employees customers suppliers landlord learn that a business is for sale so that is something that anyone who comes to us will know that we because we're paid on performance we have an incentive to keep everything secret because we're not going to get paid if we loose lip the process we are going to protect the knowledge of what they're contemplating at a really high level because it can diminish the value of the business which hurts our client and hurts us. Totally makes sense. Well, as we're wrapping up, I have a kind of one general question I'm just so curious about. And, and to give some context, Derek and I talk a lot about uh, general market indicators that we watch in the commercial real estate industry, you know, could do with lease rates or transaction volume, or, you know, when we're on the management side, looking at our receivables from tenants and, you know, if they're up, that's a problem. If they're not, that might be a good thing. I'm just curious as we start to close here, what kinds of things you track uh, in these business transactions you're doing that give an indication of the market and you know might be cause for a sense of opportunity or sense of uh, battening down the hatches? Kurt, do you want to take that? No, why don't you take it, uh, Gregory? I mean, you just published a, a nice blog article on Q1 activity at IBA. Why don't you share some of the trends and what you're seeing? Sure. So the blessing of our market is that entrepreneurs are risk acceptant. So we're frequently seeing 15 to 40 percent returns on investment, depending on the business model. And people go in recognizing that risk, but the reward potential. So our biggest problem, which Kurt touched on, is keeping inventory on our shelves because buyer demand has been strong throughout my 30 years in this industry. It has really never diminished except 
in the Great Recession when funding dried up from the banking community. That made it more difficult to do deals. Even now with our higher interest rates, people are okay with that because the interest is tax deductible and they rethink looking out on the horizon. It may be high now, but in 2027, it's going to be 2% or so less. So they'll build that into valuation in the business model. Um, one positive trend for us is the baby boomers are getting older. And many of them have kids, but their kids don't want to go into their business. If dad, you know, had an eight bay auto repair business or mom had a multiple location, let's say hair salon chain, um, the kids became lawyers and computer programmers. They're not going into those businesses. And so they need to create an exit strategy. And many people talk about selling to employees, but the reality is from a leadership perspective, many employees are employees for a reason. They are not willing to take the risk and don't have the capital. And if the kids don't want to go in the business, they need to create an exit strategy because father time doesn't stop for any of us. And so if we're looking at anything positive is that this baby boomer population is going to need to exit because unlike real estate, if you own an apartment building, that's easy to pass on from a management perspective as a family asset. It's much harder to pass on the risk of that president CEO chair, because the one thing we can't sell is management ability. The new owner is going to be better or worse. And if you put an employee in place and you know, whether it's a five, 15 or $25 million company, if they run it into the wall, that asset can go down in value quite rapidly. Yeah. And if you sell it, you don't have that risk with that family legacy asset. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Well, well guys, you know, I, I, I personally want to thank you for taking the time uh, to get on here and uh, enlighten our audience on this aspect of transition, right? I mean, we're always involved with the real estate, not as much on the business side, and and there's so much that goes into it. And uh, in your answer there, Gregory, I got me thinking on a couple of clients that I know that they're up there in the years. The kids don't want to run the business, and it's like, what are they going to do, right? Is, is that it's that's going to be a big uh, a big piece to it. So, um, you know, if if anybody wants to get a hold of you, I know Kurt. I know a lot of things funnel through you. Um, let people know how to reach out to you or, or uh, you know, hear more or see more of what IBA is doing. Sure. I mean, um, anyone can go directly to our website, which is www.ibainc.com, um, or they can reach out to me uh, at kurt at ibainc.com. And again, be happy to have a conversation with any owner at any stage and uh, take it from there. Yeah, and, and I'll just say that uh, Kurt means what he says. I mean, I know we've had 
throw people over to you to have a conversation with. And Kurt has no problem jumping on the phone and having a conversation. Um, so I appreciate uh, the support you've given our clients and referrals. Let me also, uh, as, as Gregory mentioned, we're a sell side firm. We represent owners. Um, however, I just wanted to leave you with the fact that uh, in addition to myself in the franchise division, I mentioned another fellow that's 100% dedicated to franchising. And if anybody has an interest in um, franchising, it's good to come to us for this reason. If you go to a franchise broker or franchise consultant, all they have to sell you are franchises. If you come to us, we are going to look out for your best interest, whether that's an existing business with an existing cash flow or a new business. As Gregory mentioned, inventory is an issue. We have buyers coming to our engagements. They're not successful in getting getting the deal done. Maybe their offer wasn't good enough or whatever. And they're frustrated. They say, what else do you have for me? We say, well, we don't have anything that meets your criteria. However, you know, you were going to buy this uh, Massage Envy business in Everett, which is, you know, 60 miles away, and you're going to pay four times cash flow for it. Rather than do that, why don't you consider an Elements or a Massage Heights where you're investing a quarter of it? Sure, you've got no cash flow day one, but, you know, within a year and a half, you're going to reach break even. And three years later, you're going to replace your corporate income. Let us sit down with you free of charge and share with you the franchise option. And in the meantime, if anything comes up in, in our inventory that meets your needs, you know, we'll bring it to your attention. So again, it gets back to what you guys do best at NAI. We look out for the interest of the individual. We treat them like family members, as, as Gregory always says. The, the right family, the, the right family members, though, right? Because not <laughs> right. all family members, you know, our price points might be a little different. So you're <laughs> telling me you're going to charge me extra, Kurt? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, and I would add briefly on the franchise, since I know your audience is commercial real estate. Um, the other side on the franchise is if you have a vacancy in a, a new building and there's actually an end use you desire, a franchise is a great way to fill that space. So... Kurt very much appreciates where you say, look, we're filling up a new strip mall or um, office building here. We have mixed use, some retail. You know, they would love to have a sandwich shop or a mailbox, et cetera, type business or whatever it may be within this commercial property. We know buyers who are buying franchises or looking for locations. So that's another thing to talk to Kurt about. If you ever have a need or a prime location that needs a certain service, franchises can often fill that in a timely manner. Yeah, so, so basically you could backfill space with a franchise in a, at the same time as finding the buyer of the franchise. Is that okay? Correct. It's just you reach out to us and say, you know, I have one space left in this. Based on my other tenants, this is kind of what we need as a service or diversity. And we may already know someone who's looking in that space who is in that area 
and says, oh, really? There's a space in Smoky Point? I would love to fill that with this. Yeah, that's great. Great point. Good idea. Jordan, any last words before uh, sending everybody off to do their jobs? I think this was a great session. Thank you for organizing it. Great to see you, Greg and Kurt. Yeah, thanks, everybody. I look forward to seeing you guys at the next uh, CCIM luncheon. And, uh, you know, those are always a good one. We got one coming up, uh, I think, in two weeks is the next one. We do, so. and, and, we, and uh, we have one in Oregon uh, on March the 6th, and I'll be down there for that, along with our two brokers in Portland. Nice, nice. Well, again, you know, again, guys, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate all the support you do with uh, our clients as well as with the uh, CCIM uh, chapters. And uh, with that, I'm going to let everybody go about doing their day. And I want to thank, again, everybody for taking the time and uh, enlightening us more on uh, how we can look at, you know, businesses from a sales perspective. But this last little bit of information has got me thinking, Gregory, I'm backfilling new space with a franchise prior to having the franchise or ready to go. I think there's a good opportunity for there. So that makes a lot of sense. So thanks again, everybody. Wonderful. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you should have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to me directly at Derek at dokemail.com. Again, thanks for listening. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you.